Who's wrong and who's wronger? In this corner, followed by Millions James, the exploding unicorn, Breakwell. And in that corner, ignored by Millions, Steve Dosh, Rinko Levers. Hey everyone, welcome back to Wrong and Wronger, the show that has two co-hosts. Me, Steve, nothing could be more important to me than this show and you, the fans, Olivas, and him. James, I want all of you to go away because I despise humanity right now. Break well, and I welcome you. James, I, I don't know where your head is at. We, we had to change times today because of you, and that's rare. Yeah, well, actually, we had to change it because of my kid, uh, because she decided that the best place for her braces uh, was not on her teeth. Like, one of the brackets exploded off. (laughs) And this happened days ago, and we have, like, a fly-by-night traveling orthodontist. He's only in our town one day a week. And the other... (laughs) And who knows where you might find him on the other days. So... The only time they could see us was on the day where he was a town over in the middle of the school day. So my kid went to school for an hour and then I had to go and get her out and drive half an hour and let them, you know, drill and pound on her teeth for half an hour and then drive her back. So that that was what I was doing instead of talking to you, Uh, which I got to admit, like painful orthodontic work does rank above conversations with you like the the orthodontic Hmm. work, definitely more pleasant. Uh, And then for this, I I did delay us by a minute because my day and life in general were chaos. And I was working right up to the last possible second when Steve called. (laughs) And now I have mildly inconvenienced him and I will never hear the end of it. I tell you what, I am two weeks out from starting a real job, and I don't know how you do it, Breakwell. How you show up and work for the man every day. You're going to have to give me some pointers of how to put up with coworkers and bosses and the like. Well, first of all, you need to lose the will to live. Like, there's too much, too much spring in your step. Like, I can see you haven't been broken by the system yet. So you're just, the first week or two is going to be a little rough. But then, I mean, just the hope will be beaten out of you. The light will Ooh. leave your eyes. And then you'll just settle in. I'd say for the next 40 years, but you're pretty old. Probably for the next five years or however long you've got. I mean, you're <laughs> no, just... God willing. <laughs> Yeah, that's... Oh, that's, I, uh, that, uh-oh. Well, did I, we never do that. That was rare and I, amazing. I just, I, I wanted to give you time because this is this is your platform. You know, even though we, we are equal co-hosts, you seem to <laughs> just run amok here. I, I thought I would just pass the baton to you and you fumbled it, Steve. That's how you lose relay races right there. And it's, you know, we could go back and we could edit out that pause, but I'm not going to do it. I, I want the world to hear how off kilter you are because back when you had no job on the horizon, you never would have missed that cue. You would have been right there. And now yeah. you've got you've got other things on your mind, and I think I think I've spooked you. I think I have spooked you with the reality of the massive mistake you have made. I like the fact that you think I have a light in my eyes in the first place. So that was the part that <laughs> I was just I, I was hanging on that every word for you to continue describing me in very glowing terms, literally. Yeah, that's well, you know, uh, it's like on Dateline when they describe somebody who's murdered and they did like they light up a room. <laughs> it's just that's 
I think it's just a generic description people give. I mean, realistically, have you ever met someone who just lit up a room or who you would say that about when they had not been murdered? I can't think of a single, single person in my life who's like, oh, yeah, that person. They really light up a room. I, I don't even know what that means. Like, like they just walk in and, like, people are bursting with joy to see you. Like, oh, my gosh, my life was so bleak. But now you, you are here, and I am – I am just full of optimism and life. I, I don't think that happens. I do you know anyone like that, Steve? Outside of myself, no. <laughs> the other dateline typical conversation about the axe murderer usually begins with one of the neighbors saying he was a quiet guy, he was a nice guy. And I don't know anyone in this town that would describe me with either of those adjectives either, James. You know, we're all uh, we're all pretty unremarkable, I guess. Every every killer is just a quiet guy, and every murder victim lit up a room. We're all we're all the same. We're all just <laughs> cut from the same mold. It, it, it's uh, it's a little disappointing. You know, I one of the uh, one of the most philosophically jarring things I ever did was in uh, in college. I was an intern at a newspaper over a summer, and if you were stuck on night duty on the weekends, you had to get the obits as they rolled in, and uh, like. You get them, and it's just, you know, that's that's all it is, is just people dying. It's just all bad sure. news. And then you look at, like, what gets summarized? This person lived for 60, 70, 80 years, and after all of that, what does anybody have to say about them? And really, nothing of substance. Maybe they got married. Maybe they got divorced. Maybe they got some kids, and now they're dead. Like, it's amazing. You figure this person was, you know, alive for tens of thousands of days with hopes and dreams and fears and all of these things. And you condense it down to this little tiny blurb. And at first I thought, you know, boy, you got to live to have an interesting obituary. But uh, I think it's the opposite. I think you just got to kind of disregard every single one of those accomplishments because ultimately it's going to be squeezed down to a block of text about two inches tall. And uh, nobody's going to read it anyway because... Newspapers don't even exist anymore, so you're not even going to get that much. Yeah. I, first of all, we do have a newspaper in our town, and I write for the newspaper. I think I told uh, you that a while ago. That's right. And second of all, my obit doesn't matter because James Breakwell will be loquacious during my eulogy. People will laugh. They will cry. I it will be someone, the best of times. Th- the worst someone, of times. Hold on. There's someone what? in a vest knocking on my door. Take it away. I'll be right back. <laughs> I was going on like the tale of two cities by Charles Darwin. No, Charles Dickens. I don't think Darwin wrote fiction. Maybe he did. Ooh, with like superhero tortoises on the Galapagos Islands. I can see this getting put together now. And then like a Thor shows up and uh, convenes with the turtle god. And then Michelangelo and Leonardo and Donatello and uh, the other one. They all get together with him. And I know you can hear me, but you can't talk right now. So I'm going to add James Breakwell into my fantasy novel. And uh, he's going to be the damsel in distress. And uh, he'll, like, be tied up weeping in the corner of a cave. He'll have several opportunities to escape, but his self-esteem is so low, he won't even think that he'll be capable of doing that. (laughs) I'm sorry, are you back? Okay, so I leave for 30 seconds, and this this (laughs) podcast goes way off the rails. And this podcast is built for going off the rails. We can't even see the rails. There aren't aren't even any rails, like, within the horizon. 
Are you writing a fantasy novel? Is that it was that was that a bit or is that a real thing? <laughs> I just ripped that off the top of my head, okay. man. Wow, we could have really done something with that. I uh, <laughs> yeah, I only caught the tail end of it, man. Like okay, so I can see from my seat here. I can see through my front door and there's glass there. And uh, there was a guy in a vest. Like, when a guy in a vest knocks on your what? door, you got to answer because he's got a vest. And, like, that instills authority. Like, is he here to tell me there's a sewer leak? Is he here to shut off my natural gas? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I will ignore anyone coming to my door. I blew off some Jehovah or some I know, somebody, some, some evangelizers the other day. But this guy, this guy had a vest. And I went out there. And you know what he wanted, Steve? No. You know what he what? wanted? What? He wanted to sell me an estimate on, uh, like, getting my basement dryer. He was a salesman, a salesman who defaced oh. the sacredness of the yellow vest. Like wow. I will never be able to trust a yellow vest again. And the next time one knocks and I ignore him, they probably will shut off my gas and then we're going to freeze to death. All thanks to that guy. So this, this was a tragic series of events. This is like evolution. You know, I was just <laughs> talking about Charles Darwin that uh, he somehow figured out how to camouflage his smarmy self and blend in with the good guys, with the ones that are out there fixing the roads and the sewer lines. <laughs> that's, uh, that's remarkable. I actually, I think his part of the species will survive, James. I don't know, but now, like, even if he was offering something that I really, truly needed, I think just out of spite, I couldn't. Like, he, he has created, like, the, a, a major faux pas. It's like a guy, like, imagine you go to, like, the hospital and to be treated, and you're in the waiting room there, and a guy in a lab coat comes up to you. And then you find out he's not a doctor. He's like a, like a vending machine salesman. But he's, you know, he's disguised himself like the doctors in a place where doctors go. Like, that's that's what this is. People invest yeah. come to yeah. houses to do vest work man that's that's upsetting I'm a... I, I tell you it's uh like when those moths disguised themselves as smog in pittsburgh back in the late <laughs> 1800s like those gypsy moths were the only ones to survive and that's why i respect this guy he figured it out i can't believe it took till 2023 for somebody to, like that to put on camouflage they just all of a sudden one day this guy he probably he's probably 19 out there and decided i don't need to go to college i'm gonna make a living selling shingles and basement paint and he went out there and he put on that vest you know what steve he's probably gonna be a millionaire he's gonna he's gonna beat the system he's gonna beat the odds and i am but a speed bump on his on his path to wealth and fame well let me ask you, James, did he have light in his eyes? That really is the litmus test now. No, I would say he didn't. Um, that was uh -oh. probably beaten on, out of him by the previous three or four doors he knocked on. <laughs> really? Well, I, so, like, I couldn't get that good of a look at him through the window. Like, so, because like, it's, it's beveled glass. You didn't glass. even it's... open the door? No, I did. I can see the window from here. I can see it from here. So when he knocked, I look through the beveled glass, and I see the vest, oh. this bright yellow vest. And that's what my mind says. It looks for signals of danger. It sees vest. This is important. Sure, Blow off right. Steve and answer the door. But then I go yeah. out there, and I see the secondary signal that I couldn't really pick up from here. And he had, like... Messy, dyed black, like emo hair. Like I don't know. Uh -oh. Like, so maybe, like when he was when he decided not to go to college to go be a shingle and basement paint salesman. Like he made that decision because his parents threw him out because they're like, you need to do something with your life. So then he then he came up with his scheme. So he's I think he's in a transitional period. Yeah. Had he yeah. had he had a good haircut. I might have listened to him like for more of a spiel. He might have got me, but you know what? He only had half the signals. You got to have the vest 
<laughs> and a haircut that makes you look like a grown-up. It makes you look like you've been out there, like you've had the light beaten out of your eyes, and you really earned that beating. Like, he looks like he's still in the receiving process of that beatdown, and I really can't sure. trust him until he comes out the other side. Sure. No, it makes a man out of him. That's what it's going to do. Now, how did you disconnect the call, so to speak? Like, did you cut him off with something rude? Or did you slam the door in the middle of his spiel and storm back to the microphone? How did the end point go, James? I believe I said, I put up a hand and just said, I'm not interested. And then I backed out of there. I, I didn't have time to be gracious because I, I knew you were alone oh, on the microphone. It's like, okay. it's like leaving a toddler with a, lot, a loaded shotgun. Like, I just knew bad things were going to happen, and I had to get back here as soon as possible. And if I had to eat hurt emo vest kids' what? feelings, then it, so be it. Like, sacrifices had to be made for the greater good. I was spinning a yarn, James. I could have gone on when you showed up, but out of respect to you, because I know you showed respect to the kid with aggressive <laughs> facial piercings, I stopped because I didn't want it to besmirch you any more than I already had. I, you know, I could go back and listen to what you said, but we both know I won't. Like, whatever I got on the tail end, that's all I'm ever going to get. The rest is going to be a mystery, and I'm sure whatever I fill in with my imagination will probably actually be worse than whatever you actually said, as it should be. With you, it's always best to go to the worst-case scenario and then a little bit beyond. Well, th there was a little bit confusion between Charles Dickens and Charles Darwin, and I can't be the first one to confabulate those two. <laughs> Wait, no, I thought I thought you meant Charles Darwin because he was looking at the finches, like the evolution and all that. Was that not? Were you talking about like a tale well, of two cities? That's kind of where it ended up. But it <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where did it start, Steve? It started with the best of times and the worst of times, and I thought, hey, that's Tale of Two Cities by Charles Darwin. And then halfway through the explanation, I realized that something doesn't feel right about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. well, oh, man. Welcome to Wrong yeah. and Wronger, where you get dumber by the minute. If you knew even one fact before you came in here, you will now know zero. We have destroyed knowledge. I I listened to a podcast the other day, Steve, like a real podcast with a real host and a budget and all of that. Preparation and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And he was, uh, the guy was interviewing somebody who goes on those quiz shows. I guess there's some kind of like, like chase quiz show now where you like challenge the experts and the, the expert was somebody who was just really good at trivia and they made themselves or had an app that made 160,000 flashcards of random facts that they would just quiz themselves on using memory techniques. Imagine Jeez. all that useless knowledge they built up. But you know what? They're on TV now as like the bad guy <laughs> contestants have to defeat. And where are we with our zero flashcards? We're here confusing Charles Dickens and Charles Darwin as we rehash the trauma of someone knocking on my door. And I got to admit, I was a little bit relieved that you weren't present for my confabulation <laughs> of Charles Dickens and Charles Darwin. Because I knew you'd never go back and listen, and I'm not sure why I copped to it a few minutes ago, because otherwise it would have washed through the sands of time until one of our three or four listeners would have said, something ain't right about that. And then what? you, I'm sure, would have done your research, your due diligence, and gone back and listened to the entirety of the show to pick out what they meant. Well, the good news is I didn't lose any respect for you, because I didn't have any to begin with. And it's not like... <laughs> You're getting ready for a day job where you're going to be a teacher. I mean, we can, we can, you know, take, 
Solace in that. You're, you're dealing with feelings, and feelings aren't facts. Feelings are whatever you want them to be. So you will, you will be okay. If Charles Darwin is Charles Dickens now, that is, that, 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 that's reality in Steve's book. <laughs> you know, I do pull random trivia out of movies to, like, uh, give a little texture to lessons and feedback that I give to my clients. You know, I learned something about psychology the other day uh, that I'd never heard of before. Uh, hmm. Someone I know had uh, gone to a therapist, and they said when they did therapy, they played Uno with their therapist. Because hmm. apparently discussing personal things is incredibly awkward, but if you do it while playing Uno, it's less <clears> awkward. <throat> and I guess that's kind of like we have our, our, I guess, impromptu therapy sessions when I play Xbox Live. Maybe that's what it is. It's guys <laughs> bobbing and talking. We couldn't do it if we weren't shooting things, but because we're you know blowing up aliens, it's okay. So do you play Uno with your clients? Is this all just a big ruse for you to play cards all day? First of all, what kind of animal plays two-handed Uno? I, I can't think of a time ever where that's fun. But Wait, second of all, what? it's like playing two-handed old maid. Like, uh, you kind of know who has the old maid if you're not the one with the old maid. But uh, <laughs> was this client like seven years old? Not this client. This friend of yours like seven years old? Was it one of your kid's friends? No, no. This, this was an adult. I just... Uh... Wait, you can play two-player Uno. This, people do it all the time. It's, it's, it's a terrible game with any player count. Like, let's agree on that, first of all. But, <laughs> but that's not the takeaway. It's not, I, guess, I guess maybe it worked better in a group therapy session. But, yeah, they, they played Uno the whole time. And I didn't, I didn't know if, like, if that was like a new psychology standard or if maybe they're not going to a real therapist. I can't imagine a scenario where that would be a good idea. Really? Unless, uh, unless your friend is like emotionally compromised and they're a six-year-old inside, like uh, ah, if you hang out with them, that doesn't rule anything out. <laughs> but I would, uh, when I saw kids like 20 years ago, we would play checkers sometimes just to kind of relax the kid. And once the kid is focused on one thing, they're more able to talk about other stuff that they would be more likely to defend against if we were just eyeball to eyeball. Because kids don't like being eyeball to eyeball with adults. They feel like they're in the spotlight dance. Grown-ups usually come into therapy knowing that this is going to be a conversation that we have. And so they're kind of prepped for it. I don't know. The Uno is a... I've heard many things from clients who had gone to therapists prior to me, James. And so I suppose nothing surprises me anymore, as shocking as that may be. <laughs> that, uh, I, I guess I, I expected this to go a different direction. I, I expected you to say that, James, you are a curmudgeon stuck in the past. And these days, everyone <laughs> plays Uno. And psychology classes in college are merely Uno strategy sessions where you learn to, just be, <laughs> to drop that draw for, reverse, and... Uh, yeah, Ooh, I, yeah. I, I didn't I didn't expect the uh, the, the I guess the uh, I don't know if I, if I can accurately describe the emotion I'm getting over the airwaves here. Is it disdain? Is it uh, discomfort? There's there's a dis coming somewhere in there from you that you're not a, you're not a fan of this technique. I would need to know. I would love to uh, have a conversation with that therapist and just open with what made that a good idea. And uh, maybe they'll be able to completely articulate a good reason why that was a good idea. But uh, I'm guessing I would still walk away shaking my head thinking, boy, we're all doomed. So if I came to you to discuss the trauma of having someone in a vest on my porch, you would not pull out a deck of Uno cards. 
for you, uh, I would probably go like World of Warcraft, and then we would have a 15-day conversation about what that character on your porch was like. Do and go need... through several scenarios where you build a character like him that you blow <laughs> up several times during the game. And the catharsis may be healing in and of itself. Steve, Steve, Steve. Yeah. I have yeah. never in my 37 years, nearly 38 years on this earth, never once have I played World of Warcraft. And I am offended really? by the insinuation. I am shocked at the revelation. Do you play World? Do you play anything? I guess I should start there. <laughs> do, you, do you know what a computer is? Maybe let's just keep going back. <laughs> Listen. I have played level 93 in Candy Crush no fewer than 10,000 times. I've been playing that one board over and over for about 10 years now. And I, I play many times each night as I'm winding down in the evening and occasionally during the day when I have a free minute or two. So I do play video games, yes. I, I'm, I'm choosing to take you completely literally on this story. 100% Is... accurate. So is board 93, is it randomized every time or is it set up exactly the same way? It is I, I, somewhere in between. It, there's only so many ways it can randomize, I'm sure, given the number of squares. So if there are repeats, because if you make one move different, then everything is different. So my guess is there are a couple hundred standard boards and then any differentiation in strategy is going to create your own randomization. I don't know if that's as but much so explanation you, as you wanted, but it's not the same, no. But you, you beat level 92, but 93, this one single puzzle you have been stuck on for literally years. No, no, I win probably 95% of the games I play. So you've beaten board 93, but you don't move on to board 94? Uh... I have moved up to like 105, but I, I came back to 93 because it's the perfect balance of challenging but beatable <laughs> so i like 93 you want the illusion of challenge you actually <laughs> attempted to better yourself and you said oh no this is hard my mental faculties have been engaged and you backed off you went back down to board 93 i, I can respect that you know when we play ah. hey I, I i'm agreeing with you let me have this i'm i'm gonna ah, come down on it. your side with no left-handed compliments whatsoever well, uh, but, I, I don't know what to do with that information uh okay. no but we, i get that because uh, when we play halo together like i don't want to go out there and challenge the best in the world to like know we came <laughs> close and gave it our all like I want to fight people who've never held a controller before. And I want to <laughs> blow them away and feel great about myself. That's what I want, Steve. I am way past the point in my life where I am looking for a challenge. I've got nothing to prove. I want cheap, visceral satisfaction of being better than another human being who has not wasted their life in this video game like I am. So if I were you, I probably wouldn't even be on board 93. I'd be on, like, board number four. Just beating it over and over again. So proud of myself and never advancing even the slightest bit to challenge the notion that I am the best player in the world at whatever game it was you said. Well, part of the allure is to kill a little bit of time. And so you need the game to last more than four seconds, James. That's why I like 93. 
how much time do you think you have left? I mean, we're getting down. We're not, we're not talking years anymore. It might be months or days. We might even boil the point to hours. Uh, like you're, you're at I the point know. where you need to like be spending every moment with loved ones and probably quite a few less minutes with me. If we're, if we're being honest, here. That, that's, that's why I'm here. Yeah. That's what I thought. Oh, I, I am a loved one now, huh? I James. Wait, Blake, you are you're... the loved one. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, well, you're all I got, man. Yeah. Well, I will say this about you, Steve. You really light up a room. So that's, yeah. now, I promise to say that at your funeral. And I've noticed the smile has left your eyes, James. So let me end with a quick story because we had to pull a snake out of this small cabin a couple of nights what? ago. Yeah. You were sitting on a snake story this whole time yeah. and you let me go on about Uno and a vest? Well, the, the goth kids showing up kind of ruined all that momentum. Yeah. Man, all right. What's your snake story? Well, we've only got about a minute left, but I, Mrs. Steve was over here working the other day, and she left the light on. And so uh, when we were getting ready for bed, I looked across the yard, and I saw the light on. So I said, I'm going to turn the light off. And when I did, <clears throat> it wasn't the light switch light. It was a set of work lights that she had. So I had to kind of walk into the room to turn the light off, not just reach my hand in the door and smack it. And when I did... <laughs> The cord of the work light is red with a black stripe, and it moved, oh. like, just out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> and I swear to God, this is the second time that I have in, uh, involuntarily screamed. The first time <laughs> was when I pulled a board, and Jake from Snake Farm was under there, and he's an eight-foot-long black snake. That uh, Mrs. Steve heard in the big cabin. She said, what was that? Like, she didn't come investigate. I might have been dead, and she was moving on with life. But the point is, it was a snake that was about two feet long, and it was red with, uh, like, a design pattern on its back. But I had to walk all the way back because I didn't have my phone. Obviously, I have to take photographs to <laughs> this event. And I had to get Mrs. Steve because she needed to come over with a rake and get rid of this thing. So I got a plastic tote. She got a rake. She lifted it up. I, to my credit, put the tote under the snake and then slammed the lid down over it when she dumped it in there. And then we went up by the front of the property and let it go in the woods. I have so many thoughts on this, but I will just end with this one thought. So first of all, yeah. I, I guess two thoughts. I, I am furious at you for putting this out there at the end because we, we, <laughs> could, we could have made like 90 minutes of this. Uh, but, but second of all, like, okay, so you're like, it's night, you're getting ready to settle in. You look outside into an outbuilding and say, boy, I could have swore I turned that light off. Better go out yeah. there and take care of this by myself. Like that is how you get murdered. That's how you get the Dateline special <laughs> where they say you lit up a room like that right there. That was your moment. And there was a snake. Wait, that snake probably turned on the light to set the trap. And that is the thought I will leave you with. Wow. Well, this and many other thoughts can be shared and enjoyed by all of you, Judy P. If you just tune in again next week, and until then, this is Steve surviving the eye of the serpent Olivas and James living safely tucked in... Oh, shit. In oh, sorry. Inside this massive... <laughs> okay. Well, I'd say two wrongs can make a right. Have a good day, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>